Just one person in all of your sacred scripture dared to name God. And it wasn't a priest, prophet, warrior, or king. It was I, Hagar, foreigner, woman, slave. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley. And I'm Kristen. And I'm Meredith. We want to welcome you to Inspired Conversations, the podcast study of the book Inspired, slaying giants, walking on water, and loving the Bible again by Rachel Held Evans. The book is available in paperback and audio, so please follow along with us. Even if you aren't reading along, I think you'll still find this conversation beneficial and entertaining for your own faith journey. Today, we're going to dive into a discussion around the well and deliverance stories. I think I said this last week too, but this has been my favorite chapter. (laughs) So good. So good. It it really is. Like I can't, we've been all waiting to dive into this one. So it's going to be a great, it's a, it's a heavy chapter. It is heavy. It's a thinker. I cried like half the chapter. I know. I know. I read the beginning story. I was telling them before the podcast that I, I read it once and then I read it out loud because my husband wanted to know what I was reading. And I cried so hard mm-hmm. reading it out loud. It yeah. made it more personal for some reason. It made me want to go back and reread yeah. the other stories out loud and see how it made me feel. Well, and I have the audio version. So I heard oh, Rachel right. Evans read that. Oh, and wow. And it was very profound as well. Wow. Gosh. I think this is a chapter that, I mean, everybody can relate to. But if you have children, it, I mean, if you've ever been pregnant, if you have children, I mean, it's just so so powerful mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. regard it's very okay so we'll dive in we'll share <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're we'll just, just giving you guys inside I'll, sports tips exactly. now we're gonna go for the yeah. big summer we'll go for it here okay so now we're going to dive in and talk more about the well story which was written by rachel held evans from the perspective of hagar and this is based on scripture found in genesis 16 so just kind of as a reminder if you can't remember all the characters Abraham and Sarah, they were promised many descendants from God. And then many, many, many years pass, and there are still no descendants. Sarah is still barren, um, but she has this idea to offer her Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, to Abraham to produce their heir. And after that happens, Hagar becomes pregnant. And in the Bible, we hear that she finds contempt with her mistress And that um, her mistress, Sarah, treats her harshly. And then Hagar runs away to the wilderness or the desert to find this well. Mm. Yeah. So now that we've heard that summary, uh, I'm going to share with you the summary of the well using mostly Rachel Held Evans' own words around this story because she's just such a brilliant writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, this is from Hagar's point of view. Just one person in all of your sacred scripture dared to name God. And it wasn't a priest, prophet, warrior, or king. It was I, Hagar, foreigner, woman, slave. Dark skin and foreign tongue curried little favor in Beersheba, land of the seven wells. I belonged to a woman blessed with all the things a woman wants, wealth, nobility, legendary beauty, and divine favor, but not the thing a woman in an unsettled territory needs, a womb that can carry a boy. I had the misfortune of belonging to this woman, Sarah, and so she gave my body to Abraham. Long as I live, I will never forget how casually she informed me of my duty. But bearing the child of a tribal leader carried with it the possibility of more freedom, at least from my expendability. 
I prayed for a boy, and I doubted right until the morning when, lying on my side, I could feel the impression of a heel. I was in awe, but also full of fear. My baby had yet to take a breath of air, and I knew we were in this together. Perhaps I sang a bit too loudly. Perhaps I carried myself with more confidence than before. Your scribes will say that I grew contemptuous of my mistress, but your scribes never asked for my view of it. Every day my belly grew rounder. Sarah's spirit grew stormier. Taunts turned to slaps, barked orders to mule whips to the back. I would not have fled to the desert if she had not threatened my baby's life. And Abraham did nothing. My mute idols did even less. I took the road to Shur, the closest thing I knew to home, but the desert was too much for my body. My food and water were gone, but luckily on the horizon I saw a well. A stranger at the well spoke to me. Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I am fleeing my mistress, I answered. Go back to Sarah, the stranger said, but do not be afraid. Not only will this child live, but through him I will give you a whole nation of descendants, grandchildren and great-grandchildren too numerous to count. Your son will grow into a fighter, a wild donkey of a man. But even as he struggles, he will survive. Call him Ishmael, for it means God hears, and God has heard your misery today. You are a God who not only hears, but also sees, I said. So I named God as I named the well, Elroy, the God who sees. Oh, gosh. And I mean, that was a summary of that, but she did such an amazing job of personifying mm-hmm. this character who really doesn't have a voice right. in the Bible. Right. And like... <sighs> hmm It's powerful. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It, and it's so interesting when you are able to put yourself in other people's shoes and their perspective Um, because as we spoke about in our bible study this morning not a lot of people had given much thought about hagar Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. we'd always focus on abraham and sarah and sarah's struggles with infertility which is nothing to like glance over either right but then we have hagar who was just pulled into this story she Mm -hmm. didn't even have a choice Mm -hmm. yeah um and to see that god still sees her mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i know i i laughed i went to one of our children's books uh children's bibles just to see mm-hmm. and you know just with all things i think old testament and children's bibles it's the beautiful you know sarah and abraham and oh they got up and moved and oh sarah laughed and it kind of has this like happy picture hagar's not mentioned at all ishmael's not mentioned at all we just completely gloss over that but i never thought twice about it until reading that some are reading that section on the well and thinking how horrible this poor woman has just been completely neglected in Mm -hmm. history well isn't it interesting when you think about it that way that that portion of the story remained yes because we're talking about biblical heroes of Mm -hmm. some sort who literally this horrible part of the story because eventually hagar and ishmael are rejected Mm -hmm. right they they are she goes removed. back she goes back yeah so it could have been <laughs> edited out right to make them look better right you know like that that's a sad part of the story that didn't need to be there right in some you know if you look at it that way so right. we're lucky it means something that we're supposed to see it yeah yes yeah and that like she says 
she named God. Mm-hmm. And that's the only person we know of to do the naming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love, I love like that you said, they kept this in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that we still have this story. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy when you, the longer you think about it, the worse it gets. Like, right, <laughs> right. It just gets worse the more you you consider her way in the world, how her story started, how her story ended. Someone related it this morning to when they were reading the book, The Handmaid's Tale, mm, and right. how it very much sounded like she was in that same position. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also an interesting perspective that we were talking about. So as Hagar had to go into the wilderness and go through her own struggles, and then she found God who saw her, what, let's get a little personal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's do it. Have there been times in your life when you have been in your own wilderness, um, which can be your own struggles, your own grief, and did you find God in those moments? Did he help make a way when there seemed to not be a way? As I contemplated this question, it was hard for me to land on an answer because when you compare Hagar's struggles to right. <laughs> anything I've experienced, I have a hard time imagining that level of wilderness or even like wilderness. Later, they go on to talk about the Israelites wandering mm-hmm. in the wilderness. And I think that there's a part, and I'll probably read the quote later that I really loved about like the isolation that the wilderness causes. Mm-hmm. And I think that if anything, I've definitely have felt and been in a place of what felt like deep isolation. Um, And seeing God show up in manna moments, which again, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but just this idea of like, at least for me, I think that I think about times when I'm struggling really deeply with my anxiety, um, which is something I struggle with week to week. And there are moments where anxiety just completely crushes you. You feel absolutely suffocated by whatever it is that you're playing over and over and over and over in your mind. And there are moments of prayer, of like desperate prayer in those anxiety yes. moments. Right. Where it's almost like God just kind of a small shaft of light yeah. comes through that. And so I think that those are moments when I recognize these just, and those can last or they can be larger and more, <laughs> you know, macro versus micro. But I that if for me, as I read this, my experience with anxiety specifically kept showing up for me throughout these scriptures, throughout the creative engagement that we did. So I think that that's probably what I had to had to land on, even though I feel like that's kind of a little. Eh. But I think that we do all struggle. Like you can't compare your struggles sure. mm-hmm. with Hagar's because mm-hmm. your feelings are totally valid, valid yeah. in my that mom, way. My mom used to say, everybody stresses their own stress. Yes. It's not pain is relative. Yeah, <laughs> right. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you can't negate that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I had several things pop in my mind when I was reading it was so funny. I'm just like reading this chapter crying and it wasn't. And my husband asked me at one point, you know, like, what, why is this so emotional for you? I said, it's not that I'm like living through the pain again. For me, it was almost just seeing kind of how far I've come. Mm-hmm. Um, That's but beautiful, I, Meredith. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think, I mean, probably the easiest wilderness for me to point to is when I was going through a divorce um, about 
eight years ago now. And I said this this morning, everybody's divorce is bad. Like there's no such <laughs> thing as a good divorce or a happy, you know, even when it's as amicable as can be, it's mm-hmm. still unpleasant. Um, and uh, I had uh, two very, very young children. Uh, my oldest was had just turned three and my ba- or my middle child now, but my baby at the time was like eight weeks old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picked up and left and came up to Dallas uh, to be with my parents. And I just remember, I mean, it's horrible and heartbreaking and you're dealing with some some sort of almost like PTSD. You know, sure. you're having a lot of Absolutely. trauma. Trauma will crop up at random places while I'm also trying to nurse a relatively newborn child, you know, so it was very difficult. But um, I remember one night I was crying, which was <laughs> frequent, and my mom came in and, you know, I was stroking my back and telling it's going to be okay it's going to be okay you'll find someone you know she's trying to talk me through it and I said mom I'm not I'm not even crying about that like I'm not even crying about the lack of a spouse or a partner right now I'm not crying because I miss him I, I said and I don't know where this came from I said I'm crying because I am terrified that I'm going to lose my faith over this. Mm. I, and I, I remember even as I said it thinking, that's weird. Why am I saying that? Mm-hmm. But it was, it was this absolute, like the pit in your stomach. You know, I felt like my stomach dropped out from under me. It was terrified mm. because I've always like, I kind of related to when Rachel Held Evans uh, called herself a Bible bully earlier mm-hmm. on. And I've always very much prided myself on the fact that I didn't, I've never really felt like my faith is easily shaken. Mm-hmm. You know, people will thought, well, have you ever thought about this? I'm like, yeah, who cares? Whatever. That doesn't shake my faith. Like, <laughs> right. mm-hmm. I, I wasn't there 4,000 years ago, were you? You know, that doesn't scare me. But for some reason, that, the divorce and everything that was going on, all the pain and all the hurt, I was terrified mm-hmm. that that was going to be it and that I was going to say, okay, screw you, got him out of here. I just was so terrified. Um, and I shared this morning that my grandfather bought me a book. I was a lit major in college. And so I love poetry. And uh, he bought me a book called Poems for the Spirit. I think it was I still have it. And it was very sweet. And I kind of I looked at it. I was like, that's hokey. But thanks, Poppy. That's nice. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in my bed one night. And I remember my little two month old baby was asleep next to me in the bed. And I was reading some poems. And I just started crying. And I was like, I could feel it welling up. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't need this right now. And I was like starting to shake. And I just remember going, no, God, please, 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 please. I can't do this right now. Like I've been doing this every day. And it was the most bizarre moment. I think probably the closest to like hearing the voice of God that I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And it basically, I, I immediately calmed down. And I got this like thought in my head that essentially said, be still, it's going to be okay. Mm. And I, again, you know, it wasn't like an audible voice that I heard, but it was in my head. And then I started crying, but it was like a relief cry. Mm-hmm, like it was yeah. just this, it's going to be okay. Oh my gosh, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right there. That moment was my well. That's I just love because it is a feeling of yeah. presence of God. Yes. And that I think is just, like you said, like I kind of have a moment too where it's the same thing where I can't explain if it was God's voice or I knew he was present. Right. Um, mine also deals with anxiety that I've been in the wilderness, just like Ashley. And like Ashley said, like it goes through phases where like, I'll be good for a couple of years, or then I will be really trapped in it. Mm -hmm. And when I was pregnant with my second Nora, I was trapped in the worst phase of anxiety for probably six months of my life. Mm -hmm. And 
I was pregnant, so I didn't want to take medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Eventually I did because my OB was really concerned about postpartum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was seeing a therapist. I was meditating three to five times a day. Wow. I didn't want to be alone because I was fearful of panic attacks. Right. Wow. Um, so then my fear was, and I couldn't even really tell you what it was about. It's just I felt trapped in my own body mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. And finally, um, three or four months in, I was in one of my meditation modes. And mind you, I also have a two-year-old at the time. Right. And I'm also running my own company. Oh, my gosh. Um, Overachiever much? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was going in nine mode, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I w- I'm, thankfully, my parents would – I would drive up to my parents' house every single day yeah. because just I needed them during that time. So you're never too old to need your parents. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and I just remember being in one of my meditating moments, just like in – utter angst to God going, why? Like, I'm just done. And I just, like you said, like, I don't know if it was a voice or what it was, but I just heard and felt in my head a presence saying, be patient, my child. Mm. And I talk to myself a lot (laughs) and I never call myself my child. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that was also my big, like, that wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. I never tell myself, be still. Stillness is not part of me. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm like, this can't be my own conscious. And it didn't, it wasn't, and I felt a presence and a love. Mm -hmm. Um, And it didn't necessarily mean my anxiety just went away. Sure. Uh, But like Hagar, her struggles didn't just go away. Right. But she knew God was with her. God saw her. Yes. And I felt seen and that like it was going to be okay eventually. Mm -hmm. Just like we see in the Bible. Like it doesn't just change right away. And Mm so, um, sorry, but yeah, that was, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that was my big wilderness moment. And that moment, um, it drew me closer to God. Mm -hmm. Since then I've sought him more and more. And Mm -hmm. I don't think God, gave me anxiety or caused the anxiety Mm -hmm. but I do think I've been able to use it as a beautiful way to grow closer Mm -hmm. sure yeah wow that's really it's I I just identify with so much of what you were saying but it's also crazy to hear that all three of us have felt like we've heard something else Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah which is just kind of cool it's never something I've actually talked about in this way so it's kind of it's kind of neat like you know, I have, I have, I've probably shared more freaky times. I feel like I've seen a ghost (laughs) that I've I've talked about more often than the times that I feel like I've heard God tell me, yeah, you know, the four in the mornings where you're just staring at the ceiling and I'm not doing okay. So anybody telling me I am is not me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But that's, that's incredible. Wow. Thanks for sharing that guys. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. All these stories are so great. It just seems like these are in their own way, deliverance stories. Each moment that we've kind of discussed are these intense moments of feeling trapped or isolated and that in one way or another, God stepped in to that moment. Um, So this chapter talked a lot about deliverance stories and um, we have a small overview that we can go over. Basically, the the story of Exodus in general, um, of the escape of the Israelites from the grip of Pharaoh, it's perhaps best known of the Bible's deliverance stories. Just kind of everybody's imagined, like the Israelites fleeing Egypt. Um, And this is still celebrated annually um, by Jewish people, and it's what Passover is. 
that's the moment when they remember Moses's words, let my people go, um, was first introduced actually, but then many centuries later echoed by another enslaved population in the cotton fields of Alabama. It was said by Alan Dwight Callahan in the talking book, African Americans and the Bible. African Americans found the Bible to be both a healing balm and a poison book. For every verse stated that says, let my people go, there are verses that tell slaves to obey their master. But the Bible stories of deliverance have offered hope to the struggling from enslaved African Americans who saw the promise of freedom in the story of Exodus to pioneering women in ministry who found affirmation in Mary Magdalene's role as an apostle to the apostles to poor rural Latin American farmers who resonated with Christ's declaration that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free. God fights for the underdog, and the Bible is the living word to speak to each new audience of each new decade. Whew. Yeah, that that section was heavy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I resonated, or a lot of it resonated with me, I think having spent a majority of my formative years in Alabama. Um, but also, I mean, just being a white middle-class female, it mm-hmm. made me feel so icky. I mean, I really, I, yeah. I had to put the book down for a little bit. Cause I was like, it just makes me feel so icky mm-hmm. that what I view is as a book of love yeah. was used to cause so much harm mm-hmm. for so many people and uh, just for so long mm-hmm. and still today is happening. Yeah, I I can't say that has been my own experience. So I think it's so important that we're reading about other people's experiences to right. understand it and with an open mind that I'm not trying to defend what the Bible says. Right. But I am listening and hearing because mm-hmm. I don't want I don't think God intends the Bible to be anything but love. Mm-hmm. So that just cannot be the message that I want it want to be shared with people. Right. right. And it's it's hard to, as a person of privilege who, you know, when we read the Bible, there's nothing in it really other than being women. <laughs> that when we read that when we read it, we're like, Ugh. yeah, you, you know, like, ouch, yeah, you know, yeah. There there are moments for women that are ouchy, but when you think about reading it as, right a minority or the oppressed or someone who you know descended from enslaved right ancestors every other chapter has to have something that feels triggering absolutely you know motifs and different things just how they explain things even it's 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 almost miraculous to me that christianity has taken such a hold in in those descendants of slavery in the deep South that they have, there's such a strong, I mean, it's a Bible built for a reason, but I mean, there are so many strong African-American churches. It's almost surprising to me, given what that, what it must be like to read that book mm-hmm. and read verses like, Oh, slaves obey your masters. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's intense. And within the last 200 years to have had that used mm-hmm. against your family. Right. Right. You know, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well, on that note, what are ways that the Bible has been used for liberation? And do these examples shake your faith in the Bible, strengthen it, or maybe do a little of both? Hmm. I think the times that I've felt like I was in combat with the Bible in these ways, like when it's being used to push back 
on the uh, level of value or goodness of other people. It's been with my friends in the church who are LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, yes. Just the times where I feel like I have to argue. Right. <laughs> which I don't think... it. It's, it's a weird thing to grow up thinking one way. <laughs> Me growing up being very conservative in these ideals about what the Bible says about this. And then growing up and being in relationship with God-fearing, God-loving LGBTQ folks right. <laughs> who completely cause this psychological dissonance between my understanding of what I'm making air quotes something means and right. something doesn't mean. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's Those are the times when I, feel, I have felt like it's a battle. If Absolutely. Because then the Bible is used as a weapon for yeah. sure in those situations. Absolutely. Not a judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's one of my favorite one of my favorite sections in the book is right at the end of this chapter. Um, and she says, quote, the truth is you can bend scripture to say just about anything you want it to say. You can bend it until it breaks. For those who count the Bible as sacred, interpretation is not a matter of whether to pick and choose, but how to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. We are all selective. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we reading the Bible with the prejudice of love, with Christ as our model? Or are we reading with the prejudices of judgment and power, self-interest and greed? Are we seeking to enslave or liberate, burden or set free? I love that so much. I do too. I mean, and it just makes me think about Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, was he love? 1,000%. So when you're using the Bible as judgment, I'm like, that's not what Jesus would do. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I tell my my girls, and I will tell my son when he's old enough, but I tell my girls all the time to use love as your compass. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, to me, if something is the loving thing to do, it's usually the right thing to do. If you are doing anything or saying anything that is going to cause harm when it is not needed, um, if it's not loving and not kind, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. What was the, what was the fancy Nancy quote? Oh, is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it true? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's sometimes some truth in some children's shows. It's funny because even when we talk about like picking and choosing, I don't know that anybody, unless they're trying to win an argument, which you're already in a bad place. Right. (laughs) Right. If you're trying to win an argument with the Bible, but I don't feel like even growing up, I sorted through this information with an intention mm-hmm. of doing any of those things. I think it just happened and or it or, you know, happened in the environment that I was in. But it's just interesting. I wonder how we what activates this need to read the Bible and figure out, OK, mm-hmm. uh, where are the boundaries? Well, what are we I doing? think I think I don't remember. Maybe it was actually Meredith and I are reading a Brene Brown book. Um, called Dare to Lead, and I recommend for anyone who's looking for more leadership opportunities. But she talks about judgment in there. Yes. And she talks about um, when you're coming from a place of judgment, what was interesting is she talks about how parents have an easy time judging other parents Mm -hmm. because we're also feeling insecure about it. Sure. And it's like, well, at least I'm doing better than her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, okay. And I've – and already, especially as parents – We've had to make so many decisions and you hold them so close to your heart that you're like, 
that's ridiculous. We already talked about why I wouldn't let the kids eat sugar breakfast cereals. Right. So mm-hmm. you must be a horrible human being because you're letting them eat sugar cereals. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that also comes into play with Christianity a little bit. Like, um, well, you're doing Christianity wrong mm-hmm. because that's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So I must be a better Christian than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think anytime that there's discomfort around anything, if it's new people, new ideas, new ways of being, I think as humans, our way to to function in that is to have a black and white answer. Yeah, is, uh, you know, that makes me feel weird. I don't know why. So it must be because it's wrong. And then you can turn to the Bible. And like she said, you can find a scripture for anything. If you want to say that something is bad, you're going to be able to find a scripture to support that. But then on the flip side, you're going to be able to find a scripture to say why it's right. Mm -hmm. And so then you have people that that I think freaks out. That makes Mm -hmm. them a little scared. And just like she said in the intro. So then if it contradicts itself so frequently, what use is it? Mm hmm. And that's for me when you when you go back to, and I just about did it again, Kristen. This morning, I started to quote scripture when I was talking about this. So I was like, wait, we're talking about why we shouldn't use scripture. Let me quote scripture why you shouldn't quote scripture. Thou shalt not quote out of context. But my, fa- my absolute favorite scripture is, if you don't know love, you don't know God, for God is love. Mm-hmm. And that to me is always the answer is everything should be should revolve around love if Mm -hmm. it's the you know and that goes wow full circle all the way back to what I said earlier all the way back around and Mm -hmm. you know it's so interesting to me because I feel like in our in our environment and community and culture this is like a big deal right like who's reading it right who's reading it wrong and one of the things she talks about in the chapter is that this is not how Hebrew Jewish scholars handle no, this. No, no, not at all. The, you know what is the phrase that she said that that the rabbi says? Turn it over, turn it again, yeah, turn it turn again. It again. Yeah. Turn treating it again. treating scripture like a a faceted diamond jewel where mm-hmm. you can look at it from so many different yes. ways and see something different in it, and that that's not threatening. That's beautiful, right? Which, yeah. It is makes great. It makes me wonder, and this probably is an entirely separate, not just podcast episode, but probably podcast in general. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it really just makes me wonder why it is that Christian the Christian reading of the Bible has become so highly politicized, mm. right? It when is it, it doesn't seem to be that way, and I'm not Jewish, so I can't say, but it does not seem to be that way in the Jewish cultures. And, and is it just America, or has this happened in other parts of the world with Christianity? Right. Well, and you know, in my experience with at least Europe is there's not a lot of Christianity left in Europe. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Um, so it's, I mean, there aren't enough, there aren't enough to politicize. There's it. not <laughs> enough people who are knowing enough scripture yeah. to sit out there and throw it back and forth. Well, forward. and talk about the last culture that politicized Christianity to the nth degree. Exactly. The, the people who the government was the church. Right. It's a really good quote she has on page 52. And it says, Christians, on the other hand, have a rocky relationship with Old Testament law. Conservatives are quick to cite it when condemning same-sex behavior or supporting the display of the Ten Commandments in federal courthouses, while progressives like me tend to shrug it off as outdated and irrelevant until we need a quote about welcoming the stranger to scribble on a protest sign. (laughs) (laughs) We feel seen. I feel seen right there because I am guilty of having done that on more than one occasion. Yeah, Yeah, you just quoted some scripture to us. I did. (laughs) So bad. So I I think that's what's really important is for all of us to just be aware of our own as mm-hmm. they're keep saying yeah. echo chambers but mm-hmm. yeah i mean on both sides yeah take a step back 
realize that you have a bias. That mm-hmm. is the semi analysis. That's the thing she says throughout and to the very end. And she doesn't resolve it, which is one of my favorite parts about it. Is she just says, We are biased. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can change that. No. And she but she doesn't try to give a better solution or like no. a, a, an actual reading. Just she just be says, aware of it. Just we are biased, be aware. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, refreshing. Yeah. Uh stand your toes. Which <laughs> so going off of what you were saying about your the old testament in that quote, Kristen. Right. Um on page forty eight to forty nine, this part kind of blew my mind and I <laughs> I, it, I'm going to have to play with this for a little bit longer, but she says that um, Walter Bergman, um, renowned theologian and Old Testament scholar, said, like manna, God's wilderness presence is always enough on which to survive, but not too much. Like manna, he can be gracious. It, he can be graciously received, but not stored or presumed upon. Like manna, it is given out of a fidelity, but never seen, but never but never fully seen and controlled. The wilderness by design disorients as any wilderness trekker past or present will tell you. The wilderness is a way of forcing the point of bringing to the surface, whatever fears, questions, and struggles hide within nothing strips you down to your essential humanity and inherent dependency, quite like submitting to the elements, surrendering to the wild in the wilderness. You find out what you're made of and who your friends are. You're forced to leave behind all non-essentials to quiet yourself and listen, which, okay. So I, I underlined that part too. Yeah. I mean, I, I underlined all of 48 and 49. <laughs> I know. And then skipping ahead, like a few, I won't wait at all, but then she comes back and says um, that the important stuff will start happening. Not so all the good stuff happens in obscurity. Right. Mm-hmm. So connecting all those things and just, as I read that with my own experience. So I'm thinking about myself anxious at four in the morning, staring at the ceiling and everything's going wrong. It's God is there for me in that moment, but it's almost like all the things I'm worried about are all the things that are in competition with this focus, right? All the things I can't control Mm -hmm. and that the manna moment I just can't the the idea that God's not meant to be in your pocket, right? Like you can't. Yeah. Which I feel like so many people treat it like this. Like, we'll just pray. Yeah, I'm just gonna pray now. Just pray it all. I'll pray about it. it. Well, God's there with you, and it's like, well, no, duh. Yes, I know this, <laughs> but God is not intentionally, seemingly, in your pocket. You have right. to go to God. God is not. You have to look for God. Right. And all these things. And Jesus spent time in the wilderness too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we talked a lot about this this morning, how the wilderness sucks, yes. mm-hmm. uh, but man, do you grow from it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like once you come out yep. on the other side, you cannot, Meredith talked about skipping it right. this morning. Yeah. I said that every wilderness moment I've had, I've always had the thought, I really just want to go to sleep and wake up in a year when it's done mm-hmm. and like I'm better and I feel better, but you can't mm-hmm. do that. No. You have to walk through it. You have to live through it mm-hmm. every day. Sometimes every, you know, hour by hour right? Um, with those mana moments that get you through, give mm-hmm. you just enough to get you through. Um, but then when you get to the other side, 
you like you can look back and realize oh my gosh i'm in such a better place i'm so much stronger i'm so much healthier i'm all these things yes that i would not be without having gone through that mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it was fun no it sucks yes <laughs> but it's gotta embrace the suck <laughs> embrace the suck but yeah no it's like it's this idea of um in my head if i if i read enough and i study enough and i pray enough i'm gonna like elevate to some other level of consciousness and i won't be (laughs) as anxious about my life anymore because i'll be so in zen with god you'll reach nirvana i'll reach nirvana (laughs) i'm on my way there i have two ticks left (laughs) two Two ticks ticks that's how it's measured i don't think y'all knew that but as a three i've got the list so um well exactly and this just says to me Right. No, because it even talked, we talked a little bit about this, but it says our society tells us that if and when we get there, the job or position or degree we've always wanted, that's when all the important stuff will start happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Live now. Not true. Live, live now. Yeah. Not when you've lost 10 pounds. Yes. Not when you finally got married yes. or your children are out of the house. Mm-hmm. It's like one of my favorite memes that I share every year. Um, I share with myself, but it's the one that says, <laughs> I wish that I was as fat as I was back when I, I thought, thought I was fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every year I say that, I'm like, yeah, I think that. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's so true, though. And, you know, when I read this, that 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 line is all the stuff, all the good stuff happens in obscurity. Yep. I it brought me immediately back to quarantine. Right. Immediately yeah. back the, when to we, quarantine. When you just said the words non-essentials, we had a sermon series called The Essentials yes. right after quarantine. Yes. Yeah. And there's this super cheesy song. I get it. The warning cheese moment. So, mm. Oh, I'm ready. That my husband and I really like called um, Love is the Tuesdays. And it's the, cheevi- it's the cheesiest song. I get it. Laugh. But. Okay. So now I have something that I can make fun of Blake for. So I'm adding that to my this list. This is what happened when Tutu's married. I know. <laughs> but it's this whole song about like, it's not about the, it's not about all these other things. Yeah. It's not about the high moments. It's yeah. not about the champagne toasts. Love is the Tuesdays. And it makes me think of all of the best stuff happens in the moments. Yeah. We, you, which is why you have to pay attention on the Tuesdays. Yeah. Because. Yes. Especially during quarantine when everything felt like that. We every mm-hmm. every day was a Tuesday. Every oh day. Gosh. Yeah. We just, it was a, a, a summer of Tuesdays. Yeah. Right. Um, but there was so much goodness happening yeah. there. There were so many great art projects. Yeah. And, oh, and cleaning I just, and oh. my memories just popped up today on Facebook that a year ago today, we had started our first day at home with all four of us. Yes. Wow. Yep. And we were Lego building and we were bubble bathing. Yep. And I was like, all right, yep. maybe we'll feel differently in a week. Um, but I will look back on some of quarantine with fondness. Oh, for yeah. Sure. I already do. We were talking about it last night in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. I was just saying... Um, I shared this morning a story about a trip that we took and, you know, of all the wonderful things that we had planned for the trip, the day that we have the most fondness about was the day that everything went wrong. Like we missed our train and we got there and it started hailing and it was like 20 degrees colder than it was supposed to be and we didn't have coats. But that's the day that we're like, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was so great. Uh, But at the time it was terrible. We hated it. But, you know, in hindsight it was great. But same with quarantine. I look back, I'm like, man, we did like... 20,000 piece puzzles. Right. 
Like that's I, that was fun. That was like our evening activity. We'd put the kids to bed, and my husband and I would sit down with a glass of wine, and we'd put together a puzzle. And it was like that was really fun. Yeah. But in the moment, I was like, I can't believe we're doing a puzzle. This is so I stupid. Know. You know, we're we taking just... another walk. Yeah, exactly. Like, Those walks were the best. I know. I know. Slowing down and realizing that all of the goodness was in the quote obscurity, yes. the, con- the constant something and nothing that right. was that not moment. that pivot not the mm-hmm. wedding not that wedding i love a good wedding yeah. yeah but you don't have to wait for the wedding to be your wonderful moment yep. i know yep i know and we all do that we all go okay well maybe maybe when i get the the closet clean then i'll <laughs> then i'll do this you know or i don't do y'all reward yourself when you do things i have to because I, I hate do that i hate doing things <laughs> i hate having to do stuff so i have to have a reward for myself <laughs> yeah i kind of tell myself all right i can watch four more episodes of criminal minds <laughs> if i if, if i fold I, all my laundry and put it away <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, i'm gonna go I clean this i'm you gonna clean my kids bedrooms no. wow. oh yeah it's no just me just yeah me no no i'll do that I, i'm gonna clean the girls bedrooms and i'll tell my husband he makes fun of me i'm like okay Here's what we're going to do. We're going to clean the girls' rooms so that they have a fresh start on their rooms. Really, it's just so that my anxiety doesn't yeah. you know, spike. But we're going to clean the girls' rooms. And then what's our reward going to be? Right. And he's like, <laughs> having clean rooms? I was like, nope, that's not good enough. we got to have something else. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, we'll let's break into that you know, really nice bottle of wine that we've had right. for a couple of years. That can be our reward. <laughs> and he's like, for cleaning rooms? I'm like, yes, yes, because that's what I have to do, okay? okay. I'm, I'm motivated by external rewards. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're running out of time. So our final question before we dive into a psalm reading, uh, what was your favorite quote or part from this chapter? I would say one of the ones that we haven't talked about that I really like was on page 42 at the bottom. She talks about not all of these experiences have been comfortable, of course. Often a speaker or writer will say something that jars me. I'm still learning, still getting things wrong. But sometimes God knows the kind of deliverance you need the most is deliverance from your own comfort. Mm. And um, that also made me think of another Brene Brown quote that is um, choose courage over comfort. Right. And I think just helps you to push out of those boundaries. And God, God knows when you need to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked a lot about some of my favorite quotes, you know, the ones about the gem and the ones about how we twist scripture. But another one that I really liked um, as an artist was this quote on page 43, actually. She says, they say that art should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I think the same is true for scripture. For centuries, the Bible stories of deliverance have offered comfort to the suffering and a challenge to the privileged. Every item on a Seder plate and every line from those old spirituals is a reminder that scripture never ceases to speak fresh truth, and that when it comes to seeking our common liberation, there is no such thing as just a story. Which that comes after a long part of her talking about people sharing their testimonies, kind of Mm -hmm, like we did with mm -hmm. our our stories earlier, and I just think that's powerful. That's a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, mine's a, a little bit of a departure from the ones that you guys uh, talked about, but I loved, she had this whole section about pregnancy and, you know, the number 40 being a very um, special number in the Bible, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days and night on, night on the uh, 
arc, um, and then 40 weeks of pregnancy. And at one point she says, and thinking about how we talked about giving Hagar some humanity earlier, she says, did Mary ever doubt what she'd been told by the angel? Did she wake one night to blood too early or to pain too sharp and wonder if her song had been nothing more than the foolish ramblings of misplaced hope? That's just like that. It gave me goosebumps again because (laughs) you have to wonder how often have we been there where we think, okay, did did that really, did I really hear that voice or was that just me? Did I, did I create that calm for myself or was that just me? How often do we doubt our own experiences with God? Oh yeah. Right. Cause just like Ashley said, we don't want, like she probably talks more about ghosts because we don't want people to <laughs> right. think we're crazy. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it seems we've all had our experiences with it. So mm-hmm. it's more common than we think. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's because you have to talk about the most frightening or isolated or sad moments of your life That's in true. order in order to do that. And I think more often than not, we try not to talk about those. Yeah, you know. speaking of Brene Brown, which Kristen's been plugging a lot. <laughs> Two <laughs> she times. Talks, she talks a lot about vulnerability and how hard it is for people to be vulnerable. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's the ultimate vulnerability. Great, for sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, that's about how much time we have for today, but we hope that you'll stick around after the podcast is over actually here to hear a special reading of scripture at the end. We'll be reflecting on the walls and war stories next time. Check out cumc.com slash inspired for more details on this study. If you have any questions for us or if you want to send us stories or reflections, please email me at ashley, that's with an L-E-Y, at cumc.com, and we will be excited to share them on our next episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Rachel Hald Evans writes on page 42 about the impact of reading scripture in unexpected places. The author Lauren Winner describes it as dislocated exegesis. Winner said it had a profound impact on her reading the story of the Tower of Babel at the Bank of America Corporate Center. We thought today we would have Meredith read Psalm 63, 1 through 8, called a wilderness poem, and we hope that wherever you might be listening to this might give you a different perspective of your wilderness that you might be living in now. So one of my favorite spiritual practices is called Lectio Divina, um, and I won't go into too much detail in it here. You can look it up. It's a way of reading and reading over and over again a piece of scripture to see how it speaks to you differently. But so Psalm 63, this psalm expresses in vivid physical imagery the person's longing for God. As the body hungers and thirsts and then enjoys a banquet, the whole being hungers and thirsts for God and is filled by God. So listen now to these words of the psalmist. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Some reflection that you can think about. If my life is not cluttered with distractions, then I will be able to experience the kind of longing for God expressed here, and also the satisfaction that is to be found in God alone. 
and I invite you to pray, Lord, increase my hunger and thirst for you and then satisfy the longing that you have created with me. I will attempt to live with fewer distractions. Thanks for joining us for this podcast episode. As a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministry produced by Ashley Danner, you can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to view our full listing of podcast series. Like, subscribe, and follow so that you don't miss a single message. Thanks for supporting us. Have a great week.